a Bible or a phone or some device, you'll be looking at the Scripture with us this morning. Um, we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 1. Um, kind of our, our, the way we typically are doing things here at Redeemers, we're working through a book of Scripture, just kind of chapter by chapter. And so we've recently finished Ecclesiastes. We've just, in the last couple of weeks, jumped into the Gospel of Luke, trying to alternate between Old Testament um, and New Testament books. And so remember that uh, Luke here is the goal of this gospel, is it's tied also with Acts. It's the only gospel with a sequel, right? Is to, he's writing um, not really a defense as much as he's writing for assurance. He's telling Theophilus and a larger audience, I know that there, you're wondering why there's conflict between the church and Israel, right? In, in Judaism, I understand that, that you're struggling with why things have not been as smooth or as easy, and so I want to write an orderly account, right, from the beginning, from John the Baptist, through Jesus, through His ascension, and then into the early days of the church, to give you this orderly account of the story. Um, Luke is a second generation um, believer, and he said, and I'm doing it so that you'll have um, certainty, so that you'll have assurance. I'm doing it so that you can be rooted deep in the things of Jesus. Um, And so, that's our hope, right, is, is that we would spend time in Luke. In, in some passages it might feel super familiar to us, in other passages that are, feel a little bit more removed, that we would not let the familiarity um, thwart us from Luke's purpose of giving us rootedness and ensured um, like standing before the Lord in who He is. So last week, um, we, we've seen John the Baptist kind of birth announcement as Zechariah has a visit from Gabriel as he's bringing the incense before the temple. Um, and, and Zechariah struggled all right, to believe that this was what was going to take place. Um, and this morning we're going to pick up in verse 26. And so if you have Luke chapter 1 before you, we'll begin in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we, we have this scene being set up. And, and initially, we're just told where it's taking place, right? That it's in um, Galilee, in a city named Nazareth. It's a small town, right? And this is the way that we describe a lot of places in our area, 
right? Like he would know the audience didn't really know Nazareth. This is a tiny place. It's just like saying, you know, um, well, I went, to, I went to school in the Panhandle. Well, where is that, right? Well, it's, you know where Amarillo is? Kind of, right? Well, I'm, and, and you start to describe and you start to find a place and you, you're trying to draw the circle down, right? And so if you're naming a place smaller than Amarillo, you know you're going to have to give some level of description unless they live within a couple hours of here, right? Um, we were at an event the other day, right? And, and someone said that they, I want to introduce a teacher to you from Leffers. And you just hear everyone groan like, ugh, right, you're not from here. It's not Leffers, right? It's Lafors. And, and so it's, this is what Luke is doing here. And he's saying, okay, it's, it's in an area of Galilee. You're familiar with that. It's actually in a town called Nazareth. You're probably not as familiar with that. And we see such a similar scene as we saw last week, right? With Zechariah having this angelic visit from Gabriel. Now we have Mary, this young girl, having an angelic visit from Gabriel. Very similar scene, um, except, right, Zechariah's was, was more public. Like he was in the temple, like the heart of Judaism, right? He's in the temple. Um, it, it, so it's, it's public because there's other priests around and he's going to have to come back out. And now we have this scene of, of um, and, and like a no-name, right, teenage girl in a rural place, in a private setting, right, that, that what God is even beginning to show us already is, is I don't need the temple to be the place where I speak. I don't have to bring it to a respected religious man. He's showing us that I'm, I'm going to speak and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, whether it's public or it's private, whether it's rural or whether it's urban, whether it's in the temple, right? Whether it's with a priest or whether it's with a woman, whether it's with a known person or an unknown person. And then he just begins, right? As, as the angel begins to, Gabriel begins to lay out what he's there for, why he's there what Luke is showing us is he's comparing to us John the Baptist's birth announcement and Jesus's, because he's wanting to lay them side by side, and he's going to show us this morning that Jesus is superior to, the, to John the Baptist. Now listen, this is not a knock, it's not to take anything away from John. Jesus himself will be, he, listen, John was the greatest man. But he's going to show us that this is different. This isn't just another prophet coming on the stage. Because with John the Baptist last week, we were reminded this is going to be kind of the last prophet that will bridge the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's a prophet plus, right? But he's a little more than that because it's been 400 years of silence. He's ushering in he's an, an inauguration of a new era, a new kingdom. And as great as that was, as hopeful as that was, as we've even seen the fulfillment of multiple passages in Malachi in that promise, This morning, we're going to see that Jesus, His announcement, is even more significant. So last year, we spent time in uh, 1 and 2 Samuel. Um, It was about this time of the year we were working through that. Um, And if you remember, 2 Samuel 7 is like a linchpin passage in the Old Testament of the hope that God was still at work, that He was still going to do something and something that was going to last for all of eternity. And what Luke is going to show us this morning in the announcement of Jesus, or the announcement of His birth, is He's going to tie it to 2 Samuel 7 to see that these things are going to begin to come to fruition. They're beginning to come true. 
So Luke names five things, right, um, that Gabriel tells her. So, beginning, he'll say this, um, beginning in verse 31. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb, bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus. All right, beginning in verse 32, five things. He'll be great, that's one. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, that's two. The Lord is going to give him the throne, right? That's three. He'll reign, four, over the house of Jacob forever. The kingdom, there will be no end. There's five, right? So that he's going to be great. He's going to have the name. He's going to have the throne. He's going to reign, and it's going to be eternal. And so if we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see this. And I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I'll appoint a place for my people Israel, and I'll plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, he's talking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, and who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rods of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So listen, in 2 Samuel 7, we have a couple layers of story going on there. Because David is receiving this from Nathan, has received it from the Lord. And so there's the layer that's going to be fulfilled in David's son Solomon. Right, So a portion of this is happening in time and place. That the, the throne is not going to be taken from him. His line is going to continue. But there's also this second layer, this spiritual layer, that the Lord is promising some things that are going to be fulfilled ultimately in the Messiah, in Jesus. That that throne will be forever. Right, That he's going to reign forever. That he'll be from the house of David. That he will be as a son Right, that he's going to have these things. And so what you see is the Son of the Most High. We see that in verse uh, 9 of 2 Samuel 7. Then he'll have the throne is verse 13 of 2 Samuel 7. Sonship, verse 14. The eternal kingdom, verse 16. And so what is happening right, is Luke is saying, you remember this linchpin story, this linchpin vision of the Old Testament. It's happening. And Gabriel is announcing it here to Mary that the one who's coming is going to fulfill those things we've longed for and that we've hoped for for all of these generations. For all this time, it's happening. God is intervening and He's coming on the scene and what we've waited for and anticipated and expected, right? The wheels are turning and it's here and it's now. And so, Mary and, and Zechariah, very similar experiences, right? See an angel... They're afraid. The angel tells them not to be afraid. Has good news for them. Zechariah, though, is like, prove it. Right? Like, there's just a sense of like, I just prayed, and now I'm meeting an angel, and I need some 
I need some proof. And so he's given proof, but it's discipline. Right? That he's not going to speak again until John is born. Here, Mary says this. She, she goes in verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And so what we're, we're seeing here is, okay, is, now is Mary going to get chastised? Is she going to be disciplined? And she's not. And it, there's only a small nuance here of difference. What Zechariah was like, how can this be? Like It's kind of like he's throwing up his hands and that Gabriel is able to discern there's a lack of belief. There's some, there's some lack of trust in the Word of God. Mary is saying, not saying, I don't believe this is going to happen. She's just asking, how can it happen? Like, how can this happen? Because I'm a virgin. I, 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 don't, I don't know a man. How, how can this happen? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so, what we see here is Luke is showing us there's, there's kind of an upping of the ante miracle-wise. Like, it's a big deal for an older, barren couple to have their first child. Like, that was a huge miracle that needed God's intervention. Now, this week, the miracle is going to go from, hey, it's an older, barren couple. We, we've seen that in Scripture. It's still a miracle, right? But we've seen that to now, there's not, there's not going to be a man involved. It's going to be a virgin. And, and so the miracle like, takes a step up. It kind of raises the ante here. And it says this, this kind of unique phrase, right? That the, the Lord is going to overshadow her. This phrase, overshadowing in Scripture, um, is always in reference to like God's glorious presence among His people. You see it in Exodus 40, right? With the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory of God, right? When, when, when God is present, right? Like a cloud, the glory cloud, like rests on it. And they know whether to leave or to stay because God's glory is overshadowing the people and they could see it. You'll see this um, in places like uh, Psalm 91, where it's talking about protection. This is verse 4 of Psalm 91. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Right? He'll cover you. He will overshadow you, and with His glorious presence you're going to be safe. And so we see that whenever his, He's overshadowing, right, it's His glorious presence with His people. Whether it's for protection, whether it's His glory, He is with them. And so He says He's going to overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called holy. Right? It's not just good news. It's not just a new baby. It's not just right, the joy of new birth. This child will be holy. It's already setting the scene that things are different here. Right? John the Baptist was going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. Right? That's not mentioned here because this child is holy. Right? This child is the Son of God. And so what what we can see is um, God's creative power. Right? Like that He created the first Adam. Right? He, creation is from nothing. Right? He creates from nothing. And here we have Him intervening again in this new, um, this new era. He is creating and doing and working in a way to bring us the second Adam. 
when it says that she's engaged, she's betrothed, um, we, we see in Scripture that there would be a period where there would have been the arranged marriage, and then it wasn't immediately a wedding. There was usually a pretty significant amount of time between that. She's in that time frame, and already we see other Scripture coming to pass as true. This is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. Right? Which we know is God with us. And so in this scene, right, we're seeing Scripture begin to be fulfilled. Whether it's 2 Samuel 7, or it's Isaiah 7, these things are coming true that the Lord is intervening and engaging Himself in the world after 400 plus years of silence. And so she's given a sign. She doesn't ask for one. She asks for an explanation of like, I know how, she's like, I know how biology works. How's this going to happen? She's given an explanation. And then it says, and behold, she gets a sign in verse 36. Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Right? He's like, so if, if you want evidence, if you want a sign that what I'm telling you is going to happen, it's true, your relative is pregnant. Right? She's pregnant. We begin to see some foreshadowing in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And what encouragement already in, in Luke chapter 1. That if it's not impossible for God to bring about a barren woman's having a baby in her old age. It's not impossible for God to have a, a, a virgin conceive. That this one who is coming is going to bring about an eternal kingdom who's going to reign forever. This is hopeful and joyous and good news. And then look at Mary's response. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Like just faith, like receiving it, saying, okay, you're God, I'm not, I'll do it. I'll take it. And, and we say, yeah, of course she did. It's Mary, it's the mother of Jesus. The church, this was a, the potential of a ton of personal cost. Reputation. Is Joseph going to stick around or not? Right? What's her reputation going to be? Is she now tainted? Like This wasn't simply of like, oh, okay, God, do what you want. It was, God, you are God. I'm going to trust you, and I don't know how all of this is going to work out, how all of this is going to be see, uh, perceived or believed, but I believe you. I'll receive it and enjoy. She takes it. So let's continue. Look at verse 39. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Remember, he can't talk. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greetings came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Like what a beautiful moment, right? As Mary 
the younger woman, right, um, shows up at a relative, like even just the act of obedience of the Lord's given me a sign, I'm going to go check it out. Like, I want to go see this. We know that Elizabeth has kind of hidden away for five months. She's just now kind of made this public and she's out. So Mary shows up and Elizabeth, right, the older saint, godly, pious woman, right, begins to just bless Mary because the Holy Spirit falls on her. It's a reminder, right, that prior to this time, the Holy Spirit would come and stay and rest and then leave, right? That there's a gift of the Holy Spirit that comes through Jesus that we get the Spirit and the Spirit resides and remains with us. It isn't coming and going. And so she is blessed. What Luke is doing is he's tying these two stories together. He's showing and interweaving them together so that we can see the birth of John and the announcement of John and the birth of Jesus and the announcement of Jesus and how these have been interwoven. The Holy Spirit falls on Elizabeth so that she can reveal the plan, right? that she can speak. It says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And, and we see the humility of, of Elizabeth. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Right, This older godly woman looking at a young relative and blessing and saying, like, how, how wonderful is it that I get to be a part of this, that I get to receive this? Like, what humility. Verse uh, 45 is potentially a little bit of a slight or sarcastic knock on Zechariah. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You wonder if Zechariah is in the room. Right? And as she's like speaking on right and going, Mary, like how glorious is this? Like God is doing something and he told you through an angel and you believed it. Right? Like Zechariah, it's like, what's he gonna say? Right? He can't. <laughs> because he didn't believe initially. So maybe Elizabeth was far more uh, pious than I am, right? But as I read that, I'm just thinking. You wonder if there was just a little bit of a cut of the eyes, right? Man, you, you could have engaged in this conversation, Zechariah, but, right, you chose not to believe. And so this, this beautiful moment as John is leaping in the womb, as, as Elizabeth is ministering to Mary and encouraging her, and now we'll end this morning with Mary's response. Verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Like We just see joy pour out. Song as she magnifies the name of God. She's not beating her chest. Her and Elizabeth aren't saying, man, we're just better than all the other women. Right? Like, how, how cool is our family? 
Then both of them in humility say, God is at work. We are His humble servant. Like We are so grateful to play any part of this. And so she just begins to praise God. I hope that in it you see her um, showing a proper perspective of who she is as well as who God is. Listen, my soul magnifies the Lord. Right? There's no pride in that. She's saying, God, you're great. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. She recognizes that she is humble, that God is the one who's done this, that He's the one that's intervened, right? And that she is glad to play the role to serve in any way that she can. For behold, from now on, she realizes that generations are going to call her blessed, that they're going to remember her. But why? For He who is mighty has done great things for me. She is not claiming that she has done great things, that she is worthy of this. She is saying, He who is mighty has done great things. And people will remember my name, but they should remember it because the Lord has done this. In her humility, she is singing and praising God. You can you just hear Scripture pouring out of her. Um, I would encourage you this week to, to go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 um, and, and read Hannah's song. Right As we read from 2 Samuel 7 earlier, Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, when she finds out about um, her son, Samuel, being born, a gift from the Lord, she also responds in song. And see the, the, the similarities in the way these two women praise God. What it reveals to us as well is this. And Mary probably knew that song. And she knew the Psalms. Like you see Scripture pouring out of her as she praises and sings and magnifies God's name. She then begins to talk about His mercy and His strong arm. Not just for her, but for others. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Right? She's remembering periods of history where God has worked for His people and His strength. Right? She's imagining um, Israel leaving Egypt in the Exodus. Right? The, the ones on the throne, not proud any longer because their, their people have left. Right? She's remembering that God has, in His strong hand has delivered and protected His people time and time again. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate, which He's doing here with Elizabeth and Mary. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich He has sent away. Right? She's beginning to, to talk of like the, the lowly people, right? the, the little people. Saying when, when God is working, when His kingdom is moving forth, everyone benefits. Everyone benefits. It's not just the rich. It's not just the powerful. It's not just the religious. It's not just the mighty. It's all of us. And Luke is helping us see the significance of this because the highlight here is on Mary, not on Joseph. It's been on Elizabeth, not on Zechariah. He is highlighting two women here in an era where this would not have been the norm. To say, look at what God is doing. And he focuses on Mary and Elizabeth, on the weak, on the humble, on the little. Because Jesus is going to turn things on the head and He is not going to be what they expect either. Right? We, we know that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the humble things to shame the proud. 
They expected the Messiah to come in and kick Rome out, to take it by sword and by might, to do what had happened to Egypt. And instead, there's going to one that's going to come with a strong arm and going to deliver us from a greater enemy than Rome, from death, from sin, from Satan. He's going to do it eternally and forever and reign on that throne, but not how it would have been anticipated. So he's already helping Theophilus understand, hey, do you understand? Like, God's going to do it different than you expected. He's not going to come in and, and be boastful and proud and big. He's going to come in humble and simple. And he's already laying that out here. Strong arm that will bring victory for his people and will defeat his enemies. And Mary is so confident in this that the promises will come true that Gabriel has given her from God. Why? Because God has been faithful thus far. And because she knows Scripture, because she knows the story of her people and of what God has done, she's able to say, He's done everything He said He would do. He said He'll do this. He's going to do it. Church, for us this morning, as we live waiting for the second advent, the second coming, seeing a broken world around us that feels like it gets worse by the day, would we also respond as Mary this morning and say, all the things that God has promised for us, for this world, will come to fruition. They will. Regardless of how loud the world yells around us, regardless of how bad it seems, they will come to pass. Why? Because God was faithful up to this point for Mary through His people. And then we see that He will be faithful through Jesus. We don't just have Mary's viewpoint of looking back and saying, well, He rescued us from Egypt and He's done these great and mighty things. We have that. And we're going to see that Jesus steps foot on the scene and that He does everything that He said He would do. He keeps those promises. right? That He lives the life we're meant to live. He dies the death that we deserve. And then He beats our enemies and comes out of the tomb. Right? Is seen and ascends to heaven alive today, intervening and working and sealing us with the down payment of His Holy Spirit that the promises that I've given you will come to pass. That the church is victorious because Jesus is victorious. And He has put His enemies to open shame at the cross. And so we win. And, and this world can throw everything they want at us. And they can even take our life. And we win. Because we have King Jesus who reigns forever. And so as Mary responded immediately and faithfully and obediently because she trusted in God's Word that it was true, the call for us this morning is the same. Do you trust God's Word that it's true? The promises that you've seen fulfilled and the promises that are yet to happen, do we have deep-rooted assurance? That's what he's asking Theophilus. Do you believe that he's coming back? Do you believe that we win? Do you believe that he'll sustain you in every circumstance, do you believe that? Because all this is true, and He's done it. And Mary responded in faith and belief, now will we? Will we? Mary doesn't get all the answers, all the specifics of the circumstances. She just believes that God's with her, and that's sufficient. Church, this morning, you're not going to get all the answers and all the specifics of the circumstances of the rest of your life. But God has offered to be with you. Is that sufficient? Is it sufficient for you? 
This morning, Luke is setting up a bunch of themes that we're going to see throughout his gospel. One is joy. You see the joy, right? Do you see the joy in Mary responding to Gabriel? Do you see the joy in Elizabeth as she embraces and sees Mary? Do you see the joy as Mary receives a blessing and the, and the prophetic from Elizabeth that she just breaks out in song and says that we have much to celebrate because God is with us and for us? Like, joy. It would be good for us to ask this morning, are we marked by joy? Are we marked by joy? It's a theme that Luke is going to build. He's looking to build assurance of certainty for Theophilus, for those who are, who are reading this, for us this morning. And so what he's done this morning is this, is he said, listen, this child is going to be born a Mary, human. Because God doesn't taste death otherwise. He's going to be born of the Holy Spirit overshadowing His glorious presence. Because that's how He brings rescue. And He's going to be the God-man. And He's going to be interwoven in a way that is going to be difficult for our minds to comprehend. Paul writes it this way. This is Colossians chapter 2. Verse 9. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right? Beautiful, succinct, concise, huge. That all of deity dwells bodily in Jesus. We're seeing that here in the birth announcement, that this is the plan before us. The call is not just going to be to build assurance, to have joy. It will also be, are we willing to respond and trust even at cost in our own life? As Mary responded, not knowing the circumstances and not knowing what it meant for her reputation, not meant what it meant for her relationship, not knowing what it meant for her family, would they kick her out? She responded because God had spoken. Would we respond with that same level of, of trust and assurance and faith and obedience when God's Word speaks? And He's going to show us multiple opportunities where people are going to do this and not do this to help shape us and to disciple us. It's a reminder that the King comes simply and humbly. Church, it's, it's one of the reasons why we try to do things a little more stripped down and a little more bare here. That the goal isn't to entertain. The goal is to, to humbly, simply become before King Jesus because that's how He came for us. He is sufficient and enough. We see that, that Mary received grace from God. Right, It was His good pleasure to meet her in this. That's how Gabriel introduces her. He says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. This phrase of grace is going to permeate the rest of Luke and into Acts as he talks about people receiving the grace of God, the church receives the grace of God. That we today are still recipients of the same type of grace of God, favor, because He opens our eyes to see King Jesus. And lastly, God is coming on the scene. He is intervening in human history here. right? Paul will say in Galatians that at the right time right, that Jesus was born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law. It was at the right time God is intervening in human history here. And the, listen, the risk for us this morning is this, is being overly familiar. 
going, okay, 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 I know that. It's, it's, it's the Christmas story. Let's, let's move on to something else. Would we be so humble to ask the Lord to give us joy as we hear it and receive it again? To open our eyes of the significance and the implications and the impact that it would have and not be so proud as to think, I've got it and I'm good. It can't be too familiar for us. It can't. Because this is the best news the world has ever received. And we have received it. And we're going to be asked to pass it on to all. To the lowly as well, right? He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. We are still a part of this. This is still our story. And so would we receive it? Would we walk in it with joy and expectation of what the Lord is going to show us and reveal us in this God-man Jesus over the weeks to come? Let's pray. Father, we, we come this morning asking, Lord, for you to take um, blinders off of our eyes, Lord, to soften hard hearts for those who might not yet know you, that you would remove their stony and cold heart of sin and replace it with one that is soft and malleable and stamped with you and your law, your grace and your mercy. God, I pray this morning that we would once again hear our good shepherd speaking and calling to us to trust Him, know Him, to follow Him. God, would we, would we be willing to humbly pray the prayer asking You to remove um, indifference or, or a lot, uh, too much familiarity that would keep us from embracing and hearing this as good news? Um, from being excited about the implications of it for, for Luke and in this Gospel, but also for our lives some 2,000 years later. God, we need Your Spirit to help us respond as Mary responded, with hope and with expectation, regardless of personal cost. So would You speak now to Your people, for Your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, Amen. As the, as the band comes... The